The reading today is from Acts chapter 1, verse 12 to the end, which can be found on page 1031 in the Church Bibles. Matthias chosen to replace Judas. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They were all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed the names of two men. Joseph, called Brasebus, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. And now please stand for the gospel. The Gospel reading is from Matthew, chapter 9, verse 3, to chapter 10, verse 8, which can be found on page 921. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to human beings. The calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch which will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they will pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said to them, Go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Lucy. Just a moment of prayer. As we stand in your presence, Lord, we bow before you with all our questions and our hopes, our longings and our needs. Shed light on our lives through your living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Do sit down.
we're, um, as you might know, we're, we're going back to that Acts passage. So there are some interesting uh, things in that passage. So if, you, if you've got your Bible, do, do open your Bible. I'll, I'll give you my word now. Um, we're not going to go into Judas's intestines. And Matthias, um, do you know, there was a Matthias who was a member of this church, uh, Lucy. He was a member of the Y congregation for about a year. He was actually from Germany. He was a, a lovely, uh, tall young man. And he came to church a bit. And I don't know where Matthias is now. Um, so Lord, bless that Matthias. A bit like this, this one in the Bible, because after he's installed as the, you know, the next apostle, you, you don't hear anything more about him. And so he got chosen, but presumably he did, his, he did his stuff. What is the good news and the word of the Lord for us today? Um, I think in the aftermath of that terrible fire, the Grenfell Tower fire, it's hard to think of any good news really, isn't it? I mean, if you really just think of what, what those people went through, there's nothing good in that. And... Um, so I, I was really glad we could just be silent because I think silent, silence is sometimes the only appropriate response so that in some way we share the pain and identify with the frustrations and the anguish of those local residents. Um, I know we can be grateful for the outpouring of fellow feeling that we see. It's a wonderful thing, actually. And... Um, Grateful for the fact that the people there have found that they are a, a community, aren't they? They really are, and they're finding that, and that's good. And grateful for the amazing bravery of the firefighters. Um, it's a wonderful thing. And we know, I know, that the good news, though it's hard to voice it too directly, isn't it? But the good news is that the God of all the world is the God of the good things and the painful things, the mess and the suffering, because he is radically present in Jesus and, of course, shares our suffering through the cross, shares the suffering of the world. He is all about suffering love. He suffers to redeem and he suffers with, and that love is reaching out to us. And if the one thing I think I'm seeing in the way people are responding is that we know this love, this passion, this care in communities. Communities are really, really important. That's why the church is important. This is a community of the love of the suffering God. And in this journey that we're making through the Acts of the Apostles, um, we are offered some good gifts today in this passage um, for a time of uncertainty or anguish or waiting or change for a community. This good news works in a community. And so if we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 12, where Matthias is chosen to replace Judas, it simply says the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. So they walked back that single kilometer allowed on the Sabbath. It wouldn't have taken them more than a quarter of an hour, even in heat like this, 
which we might imagine. It might have been like this. And they, they go in and they go upstairs, as you do, and they wait on the Lord and pray for the Spirit to come. Verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And when they were last with Jesus, he told them to wait, didn't he? Um, verse 4 of chapter 1, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. And that's how they spend the next 10 days before Pentecost. A bit like in thy kingdom come here and around the world, Christians waited on God for the 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost. And it seems to me that half of the time they're in the temple and half of the time they're in this room, wherever this room is, because if you were to look at the end of Luke's Gospel. Remember who wrote Acts? Let's be clear about that. Luke wrote Acts. So it's, it's Gospel Part 2, isn't it? So it's the same writer. And if you go to the end of Luke's Gospel, the very end of his chapter 24, the last verse, which is verse 53, it says, They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So we know they're in the temple praising God, but we know from our passage they went upstairs to that room where they were staying, presumably in a house. And which house this is is, is quite interesting to ask, but we don't actually know which house it was. It makes it sound there like it was the upper room where they had the Last Supper, doesn't it? But it might have been um, another house. So in Acts 12, verse 12, we hear about another house. Peter has just escaped from prison. And uh, he goes to the house, Acts 12, verse 12, the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So there are various houses flying around. We don't know which house they were in. But this temple and house. They were worshipping in the temple a lot, and then they were praying in the house a lot. And I think that's a great combination, isn't it? But they're gathering together to do it. It's a community thing. Constantly together in prayer. And you get this feeling they were together, they, they were not going to stop, they were persevering, and they were united in prayer. Now, how many of them were there? Did you pick that up from the reading? It did say. That's right, 120. About 120. Um, for the Jews, as I understand it, 120 were the number of men that you needed to say we're a community. It had that significance. So I think Luke is saying to us, yeah, there were enough of them even at this stage to be a community. 120 men uh, plus the women verse 14, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So it was a together thing. And this together word, where it says verse 14, this is one of the lovely words. They all join together constantly. Luke 
uses this word ten times. It's only used elsewhere in the New Testament once. So that tells you something, doesn't it? It tells you that it's a significant word for Luke, and he likes it. Homothi madam, which means together with one heart, with one mind, or with one passion. That's what united prayer looks like. They're together with one heart and mind. And I think Luke is saying, at testing times, in testing times, or at times of change, guys, you've got this wonderful facility, this wonderful gift at your disposal. You can come together and pray as you wait. I, you may, may have heard me say, but I don't apologize for saying it again, that um, the one thing that I know has sustained me here for 23 years has been the prayer life of the church. I'm so glad the prayer life of the church is getting better and better and better. But in 23 years, um, I've gone to the old church three times a week, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. That's just our pattern of prayer at the old church. The number of times I've gone there in 23 years and found that I've been by myself, I think I can count on my fingers and my toes in 23 years. And I can't remember the last time I showed up there and I was by myself. Isn't that a wonderful thing? When I, when I share that story with other vicars or other church members, they think it's an amazing thing. And that kind of prayer, we just go and gather and read the Bible and pray together. It's very simple. It is so sustaining. I invite you to try it if you, if you never have and if you're in a position to. A wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'm, I will forever be grateful to God for that. And by the way, if I was a vicar looking for a church, what would I be looking for? The one thing, the one thing, where are the people who are praying? in this church. Are there any people who are praying together in united prayer? I, do you agree? I think that's, that's what you're, you're looking for, isn't it? Never mind the superficial stuff. That's what matters. Well, anyway, the good news from, from this passage appears to be that when there's this kind of prayer going on, uh, God seems to have no problem in making a good appointment Assuming that Matthias was a good appointment, even though we don't hear any more, I'm sure he, you know, he fulfilled all the criteria. Because there's this whole thing about appointing another member of the Twelve. And I said I didn't really want to go into the drama about Judas's intestines. You will notice it is all in brackets in the Scripture. It's not really... There's a whole industry now around Judas, isn't there? And can we feel sorry for Judas? Well, I think we can. Do we agree we can feel sorry for Judas? But that, that's a real question. But it's not the question Luke has in mind. He's simply saying there was a need to find another apostle. And it's the way they do it that's the important thing. And what they do is they get their Bibles in their hands. Did they? 
don't think they did because there weren't Bibles then, were there? There would be scrolls. So they got a scroll and Peter's got this scroll and he's probably memorized these two psalms. And there are two psalms that seem to speak to him, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. The scripture had to be fulfilled. Therefore, it is necessary to choose another. Now, it's not the way a Bible scholar today would use the Old Testament. But it is what happens when you start praying and you open your Bible. The Bible starts speaking to you. And Luke is very clearly saying, if you want guidance, pray with other people with your Bible open on your lap. You might remember that at the end of Luke's gospel, what happens is they have that journey to, the, to Emmaus. Do you remember that? And the risen Jesus comes alongside and they wrecking of the bread. And then Jesus opens the scriptures to them. And he begins to teach them everything that was said about him in the Old Testament. Do you remember that story? And that's at the end of Luke's gospel. And this is at the beginning of Acts. So it's the same thing that's going on. Pray and open your Bible and God will speak, is what uh, Luke is saying to us. And then there's the choosing. Now, it's by lots. Why did they choose by lots? Anyone know? It sounds like a joke, doesn't it? Should we choose by lots? No, they chose by lots because the Old Testament said it's okay to do that and let God guide through that. But you don't do it now. Why don't we do it now? Because the Holy Spirit's been sent. That's right. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. It was just before Pentecost. Now we have the Spirit. So we wouldn't dream of choosing by lot. Why would you do that when the Holy Spirit um, can guide? So... What they do is very interesting. It's a combination of prayer and the Bible and common sense. They exercise their sanctified common sense in choosing two candidates, Joseph called Barsabbath, also known as Justice, and this Matthias. So I think that's what we have to do, isn't it? Sanctified common sense, prayer, and the scripture, and that's how God guides. And then in verse 24, the interesting bit, I think, um, and we'll probably finish with this, but I think it's interesting. They pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart. They pray directly to Jesus as Lord, and they say, you know everyone's heart. Literally, that's everyone's heart knower. The Greek word is cardia, so that's, we know that word, don't we, cardiac? Nosta, gnosis, knowledge. Jesus is everyone's heart knower. Isn't that lovely? Whatever is in your heart today, Jesus knows. Whatever is in the heart of all those people in Kensington, he knows. And when he sees someone, he knows their heart. And that's why they can trust Jesus as they draw those lots because he's everybody's heart knower. And it's Matthias. So if we put it all together, 
there's a cluster of things that are good news to us, whether we're a church starting a vacancy or whether we're a person wanting to know what God is saying. We sit there in prayer. It's corporate prayer. It's united and persevering prayer. It's that kind of prayer. We have our Bibles open on our lap. We follow the general leading of Scripture. We use our common sense. And we allow everybody's heart knower to guide. That's the good news from this passage today. It's the combination through which God can be trusted to guide me and us and you today. Let's finish just by being still for a moment. Heart knower, we come before you, not as individuals, but as a community united in love and faith and persevering prayer. Even and especially when we feel disconnected or weak, we are a precious, essential part of that community, and in the community we are strong. So we pray for ourselves, we pray for our church in the next months. We pray for that community in Kensington. Heart knower, Lord of all, be at work there as well as in us this day we pray. In your name, risen Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.